Joanna Wilson, the author of Tis the Season TV, the encyclopedia of Christmas-themed episodes, specials, and made-for-TV movies. I've been a pop culture junkie my whole life and went on to earn a bachelor's degree in film studies. I've been researching and writing about Christmas on TV for nearly 20 years, and I'm currently finalizing the updated second edition of the encyclopedia, which will come out next year in 2020. Some of you may know me from one of my other books, such as Triple Dog Dare, Watching and Surviving the 24-Hour Marathon of a Christmas Story, The Christmas TV Companion, or even Merry Musical Christmas, Volume 1, the best musical performances in sitcoms and dramas. Whatever brought you here, you should know, Christmas TV history is kind of my thing. Thanks for tuning in. This episode's title is The History of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol on TV. This is an informal survey of TV adaptations of Dickens' literary classic, A Christmas Carol, an updated version of a talk I gave at Mid-Atlantic Nostalgia Convention in 2013 under the title Entertaining Spirits. While there have been many theatrical release film versions and stage versions, my concern here is TV adaptations. I want to draw a distinction between references to Dickens' work and adaptations. There have been hundreds of references to A Christmas Carol throughout TV episodes, specials, and movies. I think my favorites include the 1957 Christmas episode of The Frank Sinatra Show, in which Frank and his guest Bing Crosby take to the streets of Victorian London in 19th century costumes to sing traditional Christmas carols, and Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas, the 1966 animated TV special features the green monster character that certainly acts Scrooge-like in his approach to the holiday. However, neither a Victorian London setting nor a character that resembles Ebenezer Scrooge is an adaptation, but rather just a reference to the influence of Dickens' popular work. And it's worth repeating that I'm limiting my discussion to a survey of the brightest examples, the best, or most noteworthy episodes, specials, and TV movies. This is not an exhaustive list. In fact, listing all the numerous Christmas Carol TV adaptations in just a half hour would be all but impossible. Okay, adaptations of A Christmas Carol on TV are as old as TV itself. The earliest examples were live productions and often not recorded. One of the earliest examples of a live production others have called the first TV adaptation, is the 1947 Dumont Network's TV special starring John Carradine and Eva Marie Saint. Another early example is one that is easily available to view, 1949's misnomer, The Christmas Carol, a half-hour version narrated by Vincent Price. Yes, you heard that right, Vincent Price. An outstanding early example was a 1954 production of the anthology series Shower of Stars on CBS. The Emmy-nominated live program features Frederick March as Scrooge and Basil Rathbone as Marley's Ghost. This version of the story offers the highest of television production values, originally televised in color, one of CBS's extravaganzas 
in the early days of color broadcasts, even though few people owned color sets. This program also includes music throughout the story by master composer Bernard Herrmann. Another exceptional adaptation was 1956's The Stingiest Man in Town, a lavish three-act musical production that aired on NBC's The Alcoa Hour. The music is by Fred Spielman and book and lyrics by Janice Torre. Basil Rathbone is in this one too, now playing Scrooge. And recording artist Vic Damone is the young Scrooge. It was a very extravagant production which features special effects, several dance sequences, and falling snow effects, all during a live show. The music was so outstanding, it was used again in 1978 by Rankin Bass for their animated version of the story, also titled The Stingiest Man in Town. More about this later. As television hit its stride creating new content, it was also beginning to place its own unique stamp on A Christmas Carol. TV will continue to interpret Dickens' source material. 1962 debuted the very first original animated Christmas TV special, Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol, made by UPA and aired on NBC. It was so popular with viewers, it kicked off the golden age of Christmas animation on TV, followed quickly by Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer in 1964, A Charlie Brown Christmas in 1965, How the Grinch Stole Christmas in 66, and Frosty the Snowman in 1969. In Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol, the nearsighted Magoo is an actor in a Broadway production of Dickens' story. The music was written by the famed Broadway songwriters, composer Jules Stein, and lyrics by Bob Merrill. Veteran actor Jim Backus voiced Magoo, and the Broadway stage's Jack Cassidy voiced Bob Cratchit. Not only is this adaptation animated and a musical, but the structure is also slightly altered from the original. The three ghosts of Christmas visit Magoo's Scrooge in a different order than the original book. Here, the ghost of Christmas present visits Scrooge first, then the ghost of Christmas past, followed by the ghost of Christmas future. In spite of this change, the animated version has always been popular, rerunning on NBC through the 1960s, and then it would air in the 70s and 80s in syndication. A whole generation of TV viewers were introduced to Dickens' literary classic by watching this animated version. Another animated version of A Christmas Carol worth mentioning is the 1978 Rankin-Bass TV special, The Stingiest Man in Town. As mentioned before, the music for this production was taken from the Alcoa Hour installment from 1956 by Spielman and Torre. Although the special was created by Rankin-Bass, this production was made in traditional animation and not stop motion or animagic, like Rankin-Bass's most popular special, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. 1978's The Stingiest Man in Town is narrated by B.A.H. Humbug, or Bah Humbug, a cricket voiced by Tom Bosley. Scrooge is voiced by Walter Matthau, Broadway's Robert Morse voiced the young Scrooge, Theodore Bickle was Marley, and singer Dennis Day was the nephew Fred. The character of the young boy on Christmas morning is voiced by Walter Matthau's real-life son, Charles Matthau. Now let's jump over to films made for television. Arguably, the very first Christmas TV movie is 1964's Carol for Another Christmas, an adaptation of Dickens' Carol, but one that was sponsored by Xerox 
and created with a particular point of view to bolster support for the United Nations. In this movie, our Scrooge character, played by Sterling Hayden, is hardened by his son's death in World War II, and so he embraces an isolationist political belief that countries should all keep to themselves around the globe. This story was made in 1964, during the Cold War, when America was in constant tension with the Soviet Union, and we were beginning to escalate our involvement in Vietnam. The Scrooge character, here named Daniel Grudge, doesn't want to spend Christmas with his family members who don't agree with his political beliefs, so he's visited by three ghosts. Some call the movie propaganda, others call it controversial, but it's hardly the first TV production made with a political message. Hell, it's not even the first Christmas program made with a political point of view. That aside, Carol for Another Christmas was written by Rod Serling, a man who cut his teeth writing for early dramatic anthologies and The Twilight Zone, frequently espousing a specific point of view. Though this film doesn't attempt a faithful adaptation of Dickens' classic work, it does contain quite a few essential elements and interesting details from the original work. At the film's start, like Scrooge, Grudge embraces the lack of compassion for and responsibility to others, including those that are underprivileged. Like Scrooge, during Daniel's visits to Christmas's past, present, and future, the three ghosts remind him of his own cruel words spoken earlier to his nephew Fred, which he comes to regret. And just like in the original, the future is represented as a frightening possibility if Daniel doesn't change his actions and beliefs in the present. Though academics have long trashed this production, its ultimate destiny should lie in the hands of Christmas movie fans and fans of Rod Serling. Watching it feels like an extended Twilight Zone episode. A man finds himself subject to unexpected supernatural influences, forced to live out the logical conclusions of his political philosophy. At times, the movie feels much like a time capsule portraying the political environment of the mid-60s and its Cold War ethics. However, many of the political views of the 1960s, though couched in different terms, still remain with us today, though perhaps not in such broad strokes. Fans of Charles Dickens' work will enjoy watching this TV movie's interpretations of the master's original vision. If a post-apocalyptic vision of a future after a nuclear war doesn't inspire this Scrooge to transform his heart, what will? The stellar cast is motivation to watch this movie in and of itself. Sterling Hayden as Daniel Grudge, Ben Gazzara as the nephew Fred, Steve Lawrence as the ghost of Christmas past, Eva Marie Saint as Lieutenant Gibson, James Shigeta as the Hiroshima doctor, Pat Hingle as the ghost of Christmas present, Robert Shaw as the ghost of Christmas future, Peter Sellers as the Imperial Me, Britt Eklund as the knitting mother in the scenes of the future, and there's others. Carol for Another Christmas has in recent years become accessible to watch on the TV network Turner Movie Classics after being forgotten and buried in museums and archives for decades. I hope I've made you curious about it. It's worth seeking out. Other TV movie versions have been far less controversial. 1984's Christmas Carol, starring George C. Scott, made its debut on CBS and earned the respect of critics and TV viewers alike. Many consider this version, directed by Clive Donner, at least the equal of the much-beloved 1951 British-made theatrical release version starring Alice Dyer Sim, 
This faithful adaptation went on to earn Scott a well-deserved Emmy nomination. In 1999, the cable network TNT showcased another adaptation, Patrick Stewart in A Christmas Carol. This TV movie took advantage of Stewart's experience doing public readings of Dickens' literary classic on stage to craft a meaningful interpretation of Ebenezer Scrooge. Another faithful adaptation, this TV movie remains a critic's favorite and popular with fans. And in 2004, another TV movie took advantage of a popular stage production. A Christmas Carol the Musical aired on NBC after a successful 10-year run at Madison Square Garden each holiday season. A Christmas Carol the Musical features music by Academy Award-winning composer Alan Menken with lyrics by Tony winner Lynn Ahrens. It stars Kelsey Grammer as Ebenezer Scrooge and stage veterans Jason Alexander, Jesse L. Martin, and Jane Krakowski, too. This musical interpretation of the story is a lavish production, and most of the dialogue is sung. The story takes place in Victorian London, however many scenes and settings are different from earlier filmed versions. Over the years, quite a few TV movie versions have been made. Many of these are fan favorites. Some of the most noteworthy of these are the ones that stray the farthest from the original literary source and attempt an interpretation for modern audiences. One that has received too little attention is 1979's An American Christmas Carol starring Henry Winkler as a Depression-era New England banker version of Scrooge. When this TV movie made its debut on ABC, Winkler was still starring on the hit sitcom Happy Days as Arthur Fonzarelli or the Fonz. This interpretation of the Dickens story not only relocates the time and place of the original story, but the Scrooge character's transformation doesn't reflect the same spirit of charity giving as the original. Here, Winkler Scrooge, named Benedict Slade, decides on Christmas morning to invest his money locally by reopening the quarry, a business whose closure had caused many of his neighbors and clients to go out of work. Slade also offers a local youngster an apprenticeship opportunity, like the one he had when he was a boy. This offering of a leg up, not a hand out, seems to reflect conservative American values. I find this American business aspect of the 1979 story a fascinating interpretation and one ripe for commentary. That same year, 1979, also saw a feature-length musical version air on NBC entitled Skinflint, A Country Christmas Carol, a modern-day interpretation starring some of the biggest recording artists in country music at that time. The artists perform original music numbers throughout the story, the musical's book is by Mel Mandel, with lyrics and music by Mandel, Norman Sachs, and Aaron Schroeder. The Scrooge character is played by Hoyt Axton, and other characters are played by Lynn Anderson, Larry Gatlin, Tom T. Hall, Barbara Mandrell, the Statler brothers, Mel Tellis, Dottie West, and Danny Davis in the Nashville Brass. 1995 saw the first female Christmas Carol TV movie in Ebby, starring soap opera star Susan Lucci as Elizabeth Ebby Scrooge on the cable network Lifetime. Of course, Susan Lucci was the well-known diva from the daytime soap All My Children. In this female-centric version, Ebby runs a department store, 
alongside co-worker Roberta Cratchit. Other female-led TV movie adaptations include 1997's Ms. Scrooge, starring the Emmy-winning actor Cicely Tyson, playing the African-American Ebenita Scrooge, a greedy banker, and the year 2000 saw another African-American female Scrooge in A Diva's Christmas Carol on VH1, starring Vanessa Williams. This comedy, one of my personal favorites, sees the hard-hearted pop star named Ebony in need of transformation. And 2003 saw the hallmark debut of A Carol Christmas with Tori Spelling in another female-led comedy interpretation of Dickens' work. Here, Spelling plays a self-absorbed, shallow talk show host who is visited by three ghosts, one played by William Shatner and another by Gary Coleman. Creativity continued as more modern retellings of A Christmas Carol were films made for television, seeking specific audiences. In 1999, a Western entitled Ebenezer was released on TNT. Jack Palance plays another uniquely American version of the tale as a wealthy, greedy saloon owner who is accused of cheating at cards and challenged to a duel on Christmas Day by a younger card sharp named Benson, played by Rick Schroeder. Before the duel, Ebenezer is visited by three ghosts who show him the error of his ways. Another outstanding creative effort is 2004's Carol's Christmas. That's Carol with a K. Tom Everett Scott plays an unhappy greeting card writer, Alan Carroll, who lives next door to a real curmudgeon, Zeb Rosecog, played by Wallace Shawn. This might be easier to see written out rather than heard, but the name Rosecog is an anagram of Scrooge. On Christmas Eve, three ghosts come to Alan Carroll's home, mistaking him for his neighbor. Despite Alan's protests, he's shown the Christmases past, present, and future of Rosecog's life leading him to recognize that the two miserable men may have a few things in common. In the end, Alan chooses to end his bitterness by helping Rosecog change his life. This made-for-TV movie first aired on A&E and seems to have charmed quite a few TV viewers who have seen it. Another creative example of interpreting Dickens' work in a TV movie is the 2005 ABC Family Channel movie Chasing Christmas starring Tom Arnold. Yes, it's silly and frivolous, but this unique interpretation sees Arnold's Scrooge character traveling back and forth through time when the ghosts employed to teach him a lesson are disgruntled workers and don't fulfill their jobs correctly. Chasing Christmas is a comedy with the character's transformation happening despite the three ghosts' efforts. In 2012, actor Carrie Fisher starred in a Hallmark TV movie adaptation entitled it's Christmas Carol, in which the lead character, named Carol, is visited by a spirit named Eve, played by Fisher, who leads her through a journey of her mistakes. The casting of this TV movie, with the much-beloved Fisher, who played Princess Leia in several Star Wars movies, explains why it can still be seen on the network when they air Christmas favorites from their archives. But writers and producers are still making TV movie adaptations. In 2018, Lifetime released Every Day is Christmas, another adaptation of Dickens' story, this one starring R&B recording artist and reality TV star, Tony Braxton. Braxton plays Alexis, a broken-hearted woman who hides behind her business to shield herself from the pain in her life. 
This interpretation of the story identifies romance and not charity as the transformation needed to improve Alexis's life. This seems to be in keeping with the dominance of fantasy romances in recent Christmas TV movies. Over the years, TV specials have also creatively adapted Dickens' A Christmas Carol to their needs. One of my favorites is 1978's Rich Little's Christmas Carol, a vehicle for the master impressionist Rich Little. This is essentially a one-man show, with Little performing all the roles of the characters in the familiar story by utilizing his impressions of figures from popular culture. What's noteworthy here is that there is a second layer of cultural meaning generated by Little in the choices he makes to voice each of the Dickens characters. For example, Little chooses to play Ebenezer Scrooge with the voice of the grouchy W.C. Fields. Bob Cratchit is now the put-upon Paul Lind. The character Jacob Marley is Richard Nixon. Hilariously, his chains are seen to be rolls of audio tape. Little plays the nephew Fred character as Johnny Carson. The charity solicitors are comedy duo the inept Laurel and Hardy. The Ghost of Christmas Past is Humphrey Bogart. The Ghost of Christmas Present is Peter Falk's Columbo character. And The Ghost of Christmas Future is Peter Sellers' Inspector Clouseau from the Pink Panther movie. What else is there? Oh yeah, Mr. Fezziwig is played as Groucho Marx. Mrs. Cratchit is Edith Bunker. And even Tiny Tim is played as writer Truman Capote, who was well known to be short of stature. This TV adaptation of Dickens' familiar story is certainly a clever one, and one that is complex enough to hold everyone's attention. Another favorite version of mine is the 1988 British-made TV special Black Adder's Christmas Carol, with Rowan Atkinson returning to his popular character Black Adder. The TV exploits of Black Adder usually see him in a different era of history, living out his ancestral destiny as a horrible person. Here, he is Ebenezer Blackadder, unexpectedly the kindest, most generous man in 19th century London. When the Ghost of Christmas, played by Robbie Coltrane, visits him and shows him visions of his conniving ancestors, Blackadder is motivated to change his ways and pursue the earthly rewards of a villainous lifestyle. This reverse Christmas carol is brilliant and funny, even if you're tired of every other adaptation of Dickens' tale. Television series have taken on adapting Dickens' tale as well. In fact, there are more half-hour sitcom comedy interpretations of TV series than any other format on television. Here's a list of some of the most memorable. How many of them do you remember seeing? The 1953 Carol adaptation of The Paul Winchell Show sees the ventriloquist and his dummy, Jerry Mahoney, in Christmas Future, <laughs> the year 2000, on the moon. Also in 1953, Topper. In 1960, The Many Loves of Dobie Gillis. 1967 is Bewitched. 1969, The Ghost and Mrs. Muir. 1970, The Odd Couple. Remember Oscar Madison dreams he's visited by a ghost after he refuses to be in his roommate Felix Unger's Christmas Carol stage production. 1975 sees Sanford and Son transform Fred G. Sanford. 1980 on WKRP in Cincinnati. 1981's Alice includes Mills Diner owner haunted by his former business partner when he wants his waitresses Alice, Vera, and Jolene to work until midnight on Christmas Eve. 1983's Family Ties has Alex P. Keaton acting Scrooge-like. 
1989's Mr. Belvedere. 1989's A Different World sees the uptight Whitley, influenced by reminders of her Christmases past, present, and future. 1996's Martin, starring comedian Martin Lawrence. In 2006, the animated series American Dad sees Stan absurdly blame his holiday disillusionment on Jane Fonda. In 2007, The House of Pain sees Tyler Perry's Medea haunting Curtis for his lack of holiday spirit. 2009's It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. 2016's Fresh Off the Boat. 2017, Great News. And another in 2017 by Family Guy, with Peter Griffin haunted by the ghost of Patrick Swayze in the episode Don't Be a Dickens at Christmas. TV dramas also have taken up the challenge to interpret A Christmas Carol. 1965's The Rogues, 1976's Bionic Christmas Carol features the $6 million man Steve Austin trying to influence a Scrooge. And 1980's Dukes of Hazzard's Boss Hogg needs an attitude adjustment. In 1984, on the highway to heaven, the two angels take on a dishonest used car salesman. And 1985 features music and dancing as a part of the interpretation of Dickens on the series Fame. The series Quantum Leap in 1990 sees Sam in 1962 trying to influence a wealthy real estate developer who wants to shut down a mission for the needy. 1993's episode of Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman, 1994's Melrose Place, and 1996's Xena Warrior Princess all take on Dickens. And Northern Exposure adapts A Christmas Carol in 1994 in an episode taking place at Yom Kippur, the Jewish Day of Atonement, in the episode, Shofar, So Good. Both Smallville and Las Vegas take their turn at the carol, in 2005 and 2007, respectively. And the British-made Doctor Who, in a memorable 2010 episode, adapts Dickens with time travel and an imaginative world where sharks swim through the air. Children's programming on TV is another space that you'll find various interpretations of Dickens' literary classic. Just to name a few of them, there are two Sesame Street adaptations, 1978's A Special Sesame Street Christmas and 2006's A Sesame Street Christmas Carol, both with Oscar the Grouch playing the Scrooge character. There are two Looney Tunes adaptations, 1979's Bugs Bunny's Looney Christmas Tales and 2006's Bah Humduck, A Looney Tunes Christmas, with Yosemite Sam as Scrooge in the former and Daffy Duck as Scrooge in the latter. 1994 saw The Flintstones Christmas, and 1985 features The Jetsons Christmas Carol. In 1983, the chipmunks Alvin, Simon, and Theodore found themselves in an adaptation, as did the real Ghostbusters in 1986. In 2009, Dora the Explorer adapted a simplified version of the story for preschoolers, and so did Thomas the Tank Engine in 2015. More recently, the Scooby-Doo gang in the series Be Cool Scooby-Doo investigate the ghosts in the 2017 episode Scroogey-Doo. And in 2018, Disney's DuckTales not only attempts a complex version of Dickens' story, but impressively incorporates the earlier history 
of characters from the 1983 short film Mickey's Christmas Carol. TV's numerous adaptations of Dickens' Yuletide Tale are an astonishing list of creative effort by writers and producers to bring classic literature to modern audiences. Think about this for a second. Series adaptations of A Christmas Carol require the regular characters and personalities to convincingly fit within the model defined by Dickens. The freedoms of this construction for series writers must be thrilling and sometimes limiting. At times it works well, as in the example of the 1983 Family Ties Christmas Carol adaptation. The young Alex P. Keaton admires big business and bankers. It's not a stretch to see him capable of becoming an Ebenezer Scrooge in the future. Likewise, the characters like the power-hungry Boss Hogg from the Dukes of Hazard and the penny-pinching Fred Sanford on Sanford's Son. Other series seem to push their characters too far from their believable centers to fit. One example of a comedy version that I think pushes the imagination too far is the Carol adaptation of 1980's WKRP in Cincinnati. Station manager Arthur Carlson denies his workers a holiday bonus one year and is visited by three ghosts. TV fans know that Carlson's mother is the person who controls the radio station's purse strings, and Arthur, played by Gordon Jump, is almost always on the side of his employees who continuously work to change the station from unsuccessful easy listening station to a more profitable rock and roll station. To ham-fist Arthur Carlson into the role of this adaptation Scrooge seems to betray his typical and usual character for the sake of one inauthentic storyline and bad television. I've seen quite a few TV versions of A Christmas Carol where the series hero takes it upon themselves to gaslight an adversary, the Scrooge-like character, into learning a lesson, usually inspiring the Christmas spirit. It's actually a bit of arrogant behavior, but we're usually on the side of the manipulator or series regular, looking to influence the bad person. If you've seen the sitcom Bewitched and the 1967 episode, Humbug Not To Be Spoken Here, then you're familiar with what I'm describing. A client of Darren Stevens's expects him to work through Christmas Eve and Christmas Day in order to meet a deadline. Samantha, the happy suburban housewife witch, uses her magic to teach the client, played by the great curmudgeon character actor Charles Lane, to show him the error of his ways. This plot formula of a series regular giving someone with a bad attitude the Scrooge treatment has been repeated quite a few times on TV. The first time I've seen it done was in the 1965 episode, Mr. White's Christmas on the drama The Rogues. But the formula can also be seen in the Six Million Dollar Man's 1976 episode, A Bionic Christmas Carol, The Dukes of Hazzard's 1980 episode, The Great Santa Claus Chase, the 1984 Christmas episode of Highway to Heaven, and the 1996 holiday episode of Xena Warrior Princess, as well as the 2009 Christmas episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, among others. You may be wondering, why has Dickens' A Christmas Carol been adapted so many times? I think I've come up with a few possible answers. From TV creators' point of view, the 19th century story offers its characters complex emotions and transformation. Think about it. A Christmas Carol has its characters exhibit fear, romance, loneliness, and greed, as well as hope, personal transformation, and gratitude. For creators, 
The classic story is also familiar to 21st century viewers, a story many expect to return to each holiday season. But let us not forget, TV creators know that the story is also in the public domain, which means writers can freely adapt it without having to pay royalties. From the viewer's perspective, adaptations of A Christmas Carol continue to be popular because no two versions are ever the same. Viewers still find the truths within the story to be meaningful, that money, greed, business, and even commercialism will lose to compassion every time. I speculate that viewers may even continue to connect with A Christmas Carol because as we all grow older, we all better understand our own potential to become Scrooges. It's ultimately a story about hope, even for the most lost soul. It's a story about self-awareness. And as we all look back to Christmas's past and we reminisce each Christmas, like Scrooge, the story reminds us about the renewal of hope and how it's never too late to change. What new TV adaptations of A Christmas Carol will be released this holiday season? I hope you'll tune in with me and find out. Want to read more about what I've talked about here? I hope you'll check out my books. But you can also look into these reference works for more information. Movies Made for Television by Alvin Merrill, Television Specials by Vincent Terrace, and A Christmas Carol and Its Adaptations by Fred Guida. Thanks for listening. I'm Joanna Wilson, and you can find out more about me and Christmas on TV in general at my website, www.christmastvhistory.com. I'd love to hear from you. Tell me your thoughts on Christmas TV history and on this podcast. You can find my contact information at that website or on social media. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Tis the Season TV, the name of my encyclopedia. Thanks for listening. <laughs>